This episode of Real Life is sponsored by Crecom Comedy Nights, a comedy show featuring Crecom students. Yes, I know. Doesn't that sound appetizing and enticing? Uh, yeah, because we're both in it and we're hilarious. That's true. Yes, we are both in it. Yes, both myself, Tony Hines, and my cohort here, Luke Whitmore, will be performing stand-up comedy live at Rumors. When is this? It's Sunday and Monday. Uh, November fifth and sixth, and you got to come for both days because Tony, you're you're on Sunday. Yeah, I'm sorry. And and you're closing. Unfortunately. Right. So that's going to be the best act of the show. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and then I'm performing on Monday. So yeah, if you want to check us both out, come for the fifth and sixth at Rumors. Um, starts at six and goes till when? Maybe ten. I, I have think, no idea. I think it's about seven to ten or something like that, or six. I, I, I don't know, but yeah. Anyway, contact uh, Kenton Larson at Kenton Larson <laughs> on Twitter for tickets. Is that is that how to do it? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm sure Kenton has some stuff. Or you can, or even just left. contact the comedians themselves. I'm sure we can we can put you in touch with whoever needs to be um, uh, put in touch with. Good good way to end an ad, I think. Yeah, sure. Let's get right into it. Welcome to Real Life. I'm Tony. And I am Luke. And thank you for, uh, for joining us here. It, it's, it's a movie podcast is what we're, uh, it is. we're throwing at you here, guys. And uh, we, we should say that, yes, this is, uh, this is a school assignment, so we, we do have a gun to our heads doing this. But we're going to try to have fun, and, uh, you know, despite the fact that, uh, yeah, yeah, we're being forced to uh, make a podcast. But it's a fun podcast. It is a fun podcast. Movies are great. We do love movies. And <laughs> that, that, exactly, exactly. Yeah, we're the film buffs, and that's why, that's why we pick movies to talk about, because I feel like we could talk about it for, you know, an hour a week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, yeah, painlessly. So, um, yeah. So let's uh, get into the, some, some some movie news here, Mr. Luke. Okay. Um, well, let's see what we got here. I'm kind of just scrolling through. Um, what were we talking about beforehand? We were talking about the snowman. Oh yeah, the snowman. Um, who was the uh, what was the director's name for that one again? I'm going to try to pronounce it here. It's either Thomas Alfredson or Tomas Alfredson. <laughs> and that's not Tomas sounds better. Though, he so. is European. He's a European fellow. Mm. Uh, he directed um, the the original European uh, "Let the Right One In." Uh, yeah, like, you're you're saying that that's a that's a good movie. Oh, it's a masterpiece. Like that's it. We're, we're in we're in uh, <laughs> so, Halloween month here. And so so break, there's some contrast going on from that movie to uh, his his uh, uh, most recent piece of work. I haven't seen The Snowman yet. <laughs> I haven't um, either. Yeah, and I probably will. I'm a huge Michael Fassbender fan, so I'll, I'm game for anything he gets himself involved in. Uh, and I love the director too. And like his his film, uh, he, he also made a spy movie in 2011, I think, called Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, with uh, Gary Oldman. Another very very good movie. So there's definitely. Um, and, but, but actually, we, we should get back to what the news story was. He said that the reason why the snowman is not um, paying off with critics the way he was hoping, uh, and maybe the way his other two movies did, is because uh, their shooting schedule was shorter than he had hoped for. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of I believe him. 
I believe him. He's a really talented filmmaker. <laughs> but at first you didn't. You're like, oh. Well, at first, yeah. At first, I mean. <laughs> like I, BS kind of thing. Listen, there's a lot of anti-snowman sentiment going around on, <laughs> on film Twitter at the moment. and uh, But a lot, of that, a lot of it has to do with that poster. I don't know if you've seen the poster for it, but it's that, that serial killer note when the guy's saying, Mr. Policeman, you could have saved her. I gave you all the clues or whatever. Mm. It's uh sort of echoes that design of like this is the Zodiac killer it, note. Honestly, it kinda it, it looks like a cliche. I know, I know, yeah. I know. I mean it's it's something that works, but you know, when you get down to it, it's just like that that just seems like such a cliche thing to do in movies where, you know, the the, the killer is leaving these like mysterious notes about things. But I guess, I mean, the twist is <laughs> the interesting twist is that it's actually a snowman or something. Is that, is that what it is? I don't, I'm or like, pretty, I, I, don't I have no, why did they, why did they call it the snowman? I think is it a killer snowman? I have no idea. I think that would be better. It's a, um, well, this no. is unfortunate if that's not true. I know. Because I think, but that movie already exists. I thought it was like a, a very Jack dark Frost. version of Frosty the snowman. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, there is there is a, a version of Jack Frost, I believe. We can go online and look this up. There We're has straying to be, yeah. far off our news story, but I, but I say let, let's go with it. Jack <laughs> Frost horror. We'll, we'll type this into the Google search and see what. what the, oh my God! It was like dead snow, with the the um, Nazis. Is that Nazi zombies? Dead yes, snow. That's yes, that's dead snow. But Jack Frost, nineteen ninety seven, is a slasher horror movie that is currently sitting at 7% on Rotten Tomatoes. So this is a good wow. one, guys. You're going to want to check out Jack Frost. But anyway, getting back to the, to the snowman, the new movie. <laughs> you know, it's not about a killer snowman. It's about a serial killer who leaves a snowman at outside the house oh, and okay. kills people. I got Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but then people think that it's an evil snowman, possibly. I know, I know. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. It, it's, it's being marketed very badly. And I think that... Uh, when movie fans, like a movie fan such as yourself, if you have that mistaken impression of the movie, that's the marketing's fault. That's not your fault. That's uh, a badly marketed film. But sure, um, sure. anyway. Uh, I, I, uh, there's something else that I saw here. Something that uh, Kevin, about Kevin Smith and uh, Harvey Weinstein here. Oh, yeah. Did, I, well, did he say something about... Um, He's, oh, about... Um, donating the uh, Weinstein movie residuals to women's charity. Yeah, but it's true that, that Smith has literally made, I think, every single one of his movies, with the exception of the last two, with either Miramax or the Weinstein Company, uh, yeah, Chasing Amy, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, Jersey Girl, Zack and Mary Make a Porno, both Clerks movies. Uh, he, okay, you're right. I forgot that uh, Mallrats was a universal movie. Um, well... Good for Kevin, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not going to act like <laughs> like Kevin Smith is like a um, a he, he he's he's sort of um, a dinosaur a little bit. Whereas, I, like, I don't know that he's making he's really made like a, a an important or interesting movie in like a really long time. And I would agree. I mean, like, there's like what was his last one that you thought was probably like I think the last one I saw that I. Uh, kind of sort of enjoyed was Zack and Mary make a porno just for one of those movies like it wasn't even something that I you know yeah would really care for it's just one of those movies you'd watch on a Sunday morning kind of oh thing. sure no yeah and actually if you're, that's the kind of movie you're looking for Kevin Smith has that's a few, his a few of it, those yeah. in, in, in his um, filmography it's just like kind of goofy movies yeah like of. and to, that's the thing his career is sort of divided between that and you, it, once you get past Cop Out, his Bruce Willis movie that really uh, 
um, was sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel for for even Kevin Smith. Um, Red State was kind of an interesting movie in the sense that he, you know, it was his, it was a horror movie. Kevin Smith never made a horror movie before that, and it kind of was, you know, a fun fun's not the word I'm looking for. Kind of a, it was an unpredictable script. What was the name for that? Red State. Okay, was that actually filmed in? I I thought Kevin Smith had. You're saying this was a horror film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did they film it in Winnipeg? No, no. There's or a movie somewhere called Blue in State. Canada? There's a movie called Blue State that was filmed in Canada, uh, Winnipeg, with Anna Paquin. But uh, no, I, I Red State, I... Oh, you're thinking of... Because um, Kevin, didn't Kevin do a film around he here? He made a movie called Yoga Hosers that is set in Winnipeg, but not filmed in Winnipeg. Oh, yeah. No, that's what I'm referring to, I think. Yeah, yeah. And Yoga <laughs> Hosers is... Yeah. And when we talk about scraping the bottom of the barrel, I, I think... Yeah, the I mean, name says it all, I think. Yeah. But but when you look... I mean, it, but let's be honest. I, I, I'm just on Kevin Smith's IMDb right now. I just want to list a couple of the things that he has coming up in the next few years. He has a movie called Hollyweed. Oh, that's a TV movie. Hollyweed. Really cool, Kevin. Really cool. <laughs> Mall Brats. That's a TV series. I guess that's about like the children of the characters from Mall Rats. Really okay. cool, Kevin. Really cool. And of course, Jay and Silent Bob get a reboot. Uh, like it's oh my god. I, I I know that people love Kevin Smith, and there's geeks out there who you know hold him very high, you know, esteem. But uh, man, it's embarrassing looking at his IMDb. <laughs> I feel embarrassed for him. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> We, we don't have to. We don't have to dwell on Kevin Smith. Came from humble beginnings, I suppose, and, and right back to his humble. <laughs> um, although he's hardly, he's like the most egotistical guy when you hear him in interviews. Oh, for real? Oh, oh my God! Oh my God! Yeah, he he loves to hear himself talk. But I guess I don't know. We shouldn't be talking about Kevin Smith all really, I know, because I know. really we just got ourselves off on a heck of a tangent. Yes, we? no doubt. Lordy Lord. <laughs> um, unless you had something else you wanted to bring up. Uh, I, I, this is worth noting. I think that Netflix has is expanding the amount of movies they're going to be um, of original content they're going to be putting out. And Eight, it, yeah, is it um, is it eighty yeah. uh, original f- uh, films f- next year? Yes. And, and their what's their what's their budget for next year? Oh my God! It's, it's crazy. It's like you know, it was like, was it six billion this year and then eight billion. Next year, they, it's six billion in 2017, and they're expecting to spend between seven and eight billion on content uh, next year. Um, yeah, and, and just one of those, and just for one example, uh, Martin Scorsese's new mobster movie, The Irishman, is lined up for 2019. So that, that actually looks like that may have been pushed back. I thought that was 2018, um, but they're also sort of like, on one hand, we, we could be like, oh, cool, they're funding basically another Scorsese gangster movie, which is just like movie geek, you know, candy. Yeah. But they're also funding uh, this movie called Bright. Um, it stars Will Smith. There's a trailer out for this right now. I don't know if you've seen this. I haven't. This is about the world. It's, it's like a cop movie where orcs and demons and Lord of the Rings type characters exist in the world. Have you, have you heard of this? Really? Oh, my God. Orcs? And demons. Yes. So imagine like exist in like a rate like like this kind of world, or is it like a you know? It takes place in Los Angeles. So it's like Los Angeles in 2017. If there were orcs in the world, (laughs) 
and demons and that, imps wow. and elves and That's stuff. Very alternative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a you know, it, it's a risk. They're taking a risk. But then again, they just released uh, the new Noah Baumbach film, the the uh, the Mayerwitz stories with uh, Dustin Hoffman and uh, Ben Stiller, and that's getting really really great reviews. So maybe maybe Bright will be cool. Maybe it just sounds ridiculous to me. Um, it's written by Max Landis, who uh, is sort of like the future Kevin Smith, like how Max Landis is now. Sort of how Kevin Smith was in the 90s, where people were like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is just really cool young guy. But then I think we're going to find him grading. And then within 10 years, uh, Max Landis will be, you know, making yoga hosers too or whatever. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. Well, I'm just, <laughs> he hopes not too. But uh, anyway, I don't know why I'm being so negative. Poor Max Landis. He's had, he's had a rough life, that kid. The son of famous film director John Landis. Mm. <laughs> But uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. So did you have any, uh, any anything? I'm, I'm looking, and I don't know if there's anything else interesting. Okay. Maybe we should jump into our uh, next segment, the main one. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. we uh, uh, talk about the uh, life career of Paul Thomas Anderson and his uh, creative style he puts onto the films mm-hmm. that he makes. We're gonna try to focus on a different director every week on the show here. Yes. But we're gonna start this week with with uh, with PTA Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, and yeah, I guess my my first question for you would be like, what was the first movie of his that you you saw? Yeah, um, the first one I saw was The Master. Wow. Okay, that, that's yeah, and that blows me away. And you, saw, you waited that long. That's crazy. Like, yeah, I know. I had, yeah, and and after after that, like, that that became one of my favorite films because of how like visually stunning it was, and the story was so like raw and edgy and just like the the soundtrack like paul Paul thomas anderson is known for the way he uses sound in films sure and um who who made the who was the oh, this, uh, uh the soundtrack that was by johnny greenwood the oh, guitarist from yes. radiohead yeah such a good soundtrack i think what what drew me most to that film was like it wasn't even the story in itself it was literally the visuals and the soundtrack Mm -hmm. and i think that's a interesting uh thing that uh pt anderson can do is simply tell a story like through the visuals that he uses and the sound he uses um like in a way he doesn't even need some of the dialogue like Mm-hmm. I would love the movie if it was a silent film, you know, no, totally. and he, he, he can pull that off. Mm-hmm. He can totally pull that off. Like every scene is so beautiful. And I even get chills watching some of the scenes, even to this day, yeah. watching the same movie. So it wasn't like for the, for story wise, I wouldn't say that was my favorite, mm-hmm. but he like hit a home run on all the other, um, art stuff like the visuals and soundtrack and and like the the designs that he put into like like the color scheme and everything that he put into uh that era just like it fits so well oh yeah 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 he, he yes yeah, as far as capturing um that era of, yeah, of, he of did. the post post-war uh-huh. america yeah. is, is beautifully done um i think even going down to they shot at 70 millimeter um yeah. i believe or was or am i thinking of no that, that the master was shot seventy millimeter. yeah and I, I think they even went back and, and used lenses that, that like people had made specifically for like Douglas Sirk movies in the 1950s, like really going back and like being geeky with lenses and going like, hey, we're going to go back and like shoot this the way they shot movies in the 1950s. Uh, and you can feel that. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, that that's very very interesting to me that that um, the master what, what was his first one that you saw because. Um, I remember, like, I'm, I'm a few years older than Luke. I don't want to say how many years older. I, I, I'm, a, I'm about, I'm about a year and a half older than you. Yeah. Let's um, just say that. Yeah, maybe, maybe two years older. And um, the first one, I, I actually w w was lucky enough to be able to see all of his films in in the order they were released. Periodically. Because I'm just an old grandpa dude who has been alive since um, you know the 80s but no yeah this is the first film of his that I saw was Heart 8 the, his movie with uh, John C. Riley and, uh, and and Phil Baker Hall really cool movie um, sort of like like a like a minor 90s indie film um, sort of a gangster movie um, the 90s were so the, the, the American uh, independent film scene in the, in the 1990s was 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 really really um, just a smorgasbord of, of of raw talent, and it seemed like every single year we would get a new awesome director that we all fell in love with. Like one year we got Rob Rodriguez, next year we got Quentin Tarantino, the next year we got P.T. Anderson, the next year we got Wes Anderson, and it was just boom, boom, yeah, boom, it just boom. all blew up in the yeah. '90s in a way. And we, I, I feel like we definitely still have that today. Not, not not to stray away from Paul Thomas Anderson, but it's just harder to actually find these guys because everything's on demand, and yeah. it, it's harder today to. Um, it's there's a much bigger uh, bin of records, so to speak, for us to search through to find that that awesome, cool record. Yeah, well put, and it's so true. Like yeah. so much talent, yeah. it's just so easier for people to become filmmakers. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, the only problem is that the market is so. Is, is so different than it was in the 90s. Like you could become, you could make a $7,000 movie. Like, look, I mean, we, we, we joke about Kevin Smith, but he made a, a $26,000 movie and, you know, um, spun that into a, an actual film career. Whereas, um, you know, these days, it's a little bit harder to, to get into those film festivals that, that you know, the Sundance and, and, and what have you, the film festivals that really can make an, um, a nobody filmmaker into a, a star name overnight because Sundance is so, uh, Sundance has become baby Hollywood, basically, and all the movies yes. at Sundance already star movie stars, uh, and it's very rare uh, for, for a little, little $7,000 movie to get make its way in there. But... Um, Let's get let's get back to P.T. Anderson here. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm I li no, it's I I, I I actually like when you stray off on those because <clears throat> there's you make some interesting points about the industry itself. Mm -hmm. But no, but let's get back to to Hard Eight. Um, Hard Eight was of course the film that that the um, I don't, I, don't, I know you said you haven't seen it, but um, it's sort of a, a, a an interesting one in P.T. Anderson's career. Uh, not only is it his first movie, but it's his it's, it's a film that was sort of taken away from him. And it was a time when he wasn't thought of as like it's weird to think that there's a time where people didn't think of P.T. Anderson as a genius. You know, he was so young and so inexperienced that they were like, "Well, we'll see how how this goes." And the uh, the film was taken away from him and recut and retitled. He didn't want the movie to be called Hard Eight. Uh, and so when he came around to making Boogie Nights, he was much more um, stringent and um, and a bit more a bit cynical. And he was like, I'm, I'm not going to let people mess around with my movie. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to make this. And uh, and he luckily uh, met up with producers that 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 allowed that. Uh, and they were like, No, no, don't worry. We, we don't want to mess with your movie. Like, we want to make. We want you to make your movie. What happened last time shouldn't have happened, and that was that's not cool. Um, and we're not we're not like those those other producers. And you know, luckily. Uh, that that project turned out really well, and Boogie Nights is like you know, Boogie Nights is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, yeah, Boogie Nights was amazing. And uh, but to to, to I, I started going trying to get to a point that to, um, that I was going to say about something that you said um, that 
with the master, and this is a very good observation, that it really is, that there, there is much more of a, almost a silent film uh, aesthetic in that it's told much more visually than his previous films had been up to, uh, maybe, I think the, I would say the, the, the turning point was probably around Punch Drunk Love, because uh, if you look at like Boogie Nights and Magnolia, very dialogue heavy movies. It is, yes. Yeah. Very much so. And there was a time when he was sort of known for that. He was sort of like the, the, the oh my God, the P.T. Anderson dialogue, like him and Quentin he, Tarantino, yeah. you know. I, and I would totally agree. Watching his films, like um, the dialogue that he puts into his works are amazing. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, Punch Drunk Love, I have to say, is one of my, I, I'd say my favorite P.T. Anderson film for the dialogue that he puts in. Sure. Just because like, and I think Adam Sandler killed that role. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah. He did so amazing. And just those like, <laughs> the conversations that he has over the phone with like, yes. is it like the, the uh, like the sex operator. Oh my God, yeah. And yeah. and then and then afterwards when he's trying to, um, you know, get, <laughs> get his money back and get those like guys to get off his back already. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. and talking to uh, Philip Seymour Hoff- Hoffman and that, and that, and you see that progression of the character coming from this like weak guy. Sure. He, he, he's like, he's just, he's really pathetic. Yes. And then, but by the end he's poor Barry, <laughs> be, but it's because he has nothing. Right. Yeah. And, and, he's, and he's been, he sort of had a, a really rough life. Yeah. 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 Sort of dominated by his seven crazy, not crazy, but seven very, very aggressive older sisters. Yes. And he's the youngest. Yeah. And when he finds someone in his life, you know, he's found something to kind of fight for. Mm -hmm. And 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 by the end, he kind of grows a pair and he's just like, you know, you almost get chills when he's like, the scene when he goes uh, to to see uh, what's I don't know his name Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah I know his name but I don't know oh, his name in the, in the movie in the movie oh gosh what is that character's <laughs> name the character is a is a like one of the funnier scumbag roles that Philip Seymour Hoffman has played he's sort of a degenerate he's a mattress he owns a mattress company doesn't yes he? Um, gosh what is that character's name but he they live in Provo Utah um, that sort of a Mormon, <laughs> very strange. Yeah. Um, and the, 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 and his, his, um, what are those? His henchmen are these three blonde Mormon brothers who go to, uh, they track down Barry and beat him up and, and make him take out money from his ATM and they rob him essentially. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, th- that, that scene at the end where, where oh, it's an amazing scene. I love that scene. Mm-hmm. It's just like, hits the nail on the head when you know philip seymour hoffman like adam sandler's like he's leaving the shop and then and then he turns and uh philip seymour hoffman says what does he say to him i forget but he he oh yeah well after he's walking at philip seymour hoffman we probably shouldn't say it on a podcast because it includes a swear word but he he yells something nasty at at adam sandler as if to be like oh yeah and and get out of here like it's almost to assert his his own masculinity yeah uh, after he's been sort of uh um, you know, pushed around by, yeah. by Adam Sandler for the first time. And then Adam Sandler turns around to return and then quickly Philip Seymour Hoffman goes, nope, that's that. That's fine. Never mind. And, and, and uh, yeah. with, withdraws his confidence. Yeah. And I was like, oh, <laughs> he's like, he's, he's like, he's finally become, you know, a man. <laughs> yeah, totally. totally. And, and, and the way Philip, uh, not Philip Seymour Hoffman, but P.T. Anderson, the way he set that up, the whole progression of of the film you're you're so rooting for him and and half the time like uh barry adam sandler 
plays Barry, uh, is the lead role. He he's 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 so weak throughout the whole thing, and you just like, oh come on, do this, do that, right? And then when he finally does yeah. it at the end, it's like, yeah, oh, you know, and he he's weak, but there are definitely moments along the line along. Well, he has those when he, like when he bursts. And yeah, he, when and he, he bursts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Breaks uh, windows and smashes. And that's kind of his leverage at the end, right? He yes. he like uses his like anger issues to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like his anger has no focus it, it, uh, until he till he meets Lena, played by um, Emily Watson. And there's yeah. another great scene. Good perspective. Yeah, yeah. It's where, kind of where the brothers come back to. I think rob him a second time, and he oh yes, and he, and he beats beats, beats them, them up, up. Yep. and uh, yeah, yeah yep. a total subversion of the previous scene. It's uh, no, it's great. It's it's a great movie, and and uh, but what I thought was so interesting about um, Punch Drunk Love in his filmography is that that is to me the turning point from when he went from being. Because um, in the 90s, I think there's a lot of people who are comparing P.T. Anderson to Quentin Tarantino. Like, if you go back and look at the end of Boogie Nights, that scene at the drug dealer's house with um, Mark Wahlberg and John C. Riley, and I think it's Alfred, Alfred Molina playing the sort of uh, crazy drug dealer guy who is, uh, you know, doing cocaine and, uh, and uh, or they, they're, trying to, right, they're, they're trying to do a fake uh, coke deal with him and, and yeah. rip him off, right? That was a very tense well. scene, for one thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. my God, and the music playing over. Exactly, but I think it was that combination of dialogue, violence, and pop music yeah. in a scene that made people go, this is like a Quentin Tarantino scene. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, I could totally see that. And but it's, it, it, it's, it's it a really lack was. of, it's not a very nuanced, uh, I think, take on, on, on the material. Um, because, you know, we could just go, Quentin Tarantino, he makes final movies with pop music in it. It's just like Martin Scorsese. Like, it's not, it's not a nuanced <laughs> take on the material. Sure, uh, yeah. That's not a nuanced reading. But, uh, <laughs> but no, yeah, yeah. And I think that when, and maybe I'm just psychoanalyzing a man I've never met, but I think P.T. Anderson probably was responding to a lot of those observations that he was sort of Tarantino-esque. And he didn't want to be called Tarantino-esque. He's friends with Tarantino in real life. I've seen interviews with them hanging out together. Um, really good interviews, actually, which I would suggest people go check out on YouTube if you're a movie geek and have a lot of free time. <laughs> but um, I, I bet you he didn't want to be um, thought of as a Tarantino clone because there were so many of those in the 90s. And you know what? Um, I think he, like... He didn't want to be known as a Tarantino-esque person. And you could see that over time, his films actually changed. Oh, for sure. And if you look at his short Cigarettes and Coffee, mm -hmm. that is very sim similar to that um, Pulp Fiction scene. Yeah. And not only just because it takes place in like a cafe or whatever gangsters in a diner or whatever yeah yeah but the dialogue like it's so dialogue driven yeah. and that i think that's why they got the sense of that and so you 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 go from boogie nights like you like you had mentioned to the master and mm -hmm. you can totally see the progression of his work and how he's like using visuals to tell the story slightly more for sure. Oh, for sure. And if anything, he I think he, he's pulling from different um, visual influences as well. Like you look on Boogie Nights, and there is a there is a Scorsese uh, influence in that film. I mean, if you look at the the very last scene of Boogie Nights, where Mark Wahlberg is in, alone in that in that dressing room, and he you know puts on his jacket and goes out the door, closes the door, and, and the music you know that is identical angle 
to the last shot of Raging Bull. Like, go back and look at the last scene of Raging Bull with Robert De Niro. And Robert De Niro puts on his jacket in his dressing room, you know, makes says something to himself in the mirror, goes out the door, closes the door, we stay inside the dressing room, and the music sort of swells, and we go to black, and it's the same ending. Yeah. Like, I love P.T. Anderson, but he, he, he stole the ending of, from Raging Bull for, for Boogie Nights. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, another movie I think we should really talk about... Um, is Magnolia because that was his I'm trying to think what is the progression Hard Eight Boogie Nights Magnolia um, Punch Drunk Love There Will Be Blood The Master Inherent Vice and then The Phantom Thread yeah that's the okay. that, yeah you nailed it man I got a great memory <laughs> but uh, <laughs> although ask me my, my locker combination I, I, I couldn't tell you but I do know the order in which P.T. Anderson is but yeah so uh, <laughs> But yeah, so like, when when did you see Magnolia? That was obviously after the Master. Yeah, like this. Oh, this summer. Oh wow! Because I don't. I had a like. If you guys, if you don't know, P. T. Anderson is actually one of my favorite film directors. So I've slowly been kind of like filling in time to try to watch all of the works that he's done and it it hasn't been till recently that I've really started doing so so in the summer yeah like I I literally you know went to the mall looking for P.T. Anderson films (laughs) but it's it's weird when I go to the like uh is is it Sunrise Records Suncoast? Or, or, oh, yeah, okay. They used to be at HMV Polo. at uh, oh, Polo Park there. Yeah, I haven't been in there yet. Or anywhere, honestly, anywhere yeah. I look. There's, like, they never seem to have any P.T. Anderson films. Go to Movie Village. Go to Movie Village. I, I I guess I have to. You got to. It's so strange. And the only one I could find, which is fine, I guess, is Magnolia. Yeah. So and, and I watched that in August. Um, so all that's really kind of irrelevant. But, yeah, I watched, I watched Magnolia. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, it actually it it kind of it had a different vibe than in in my opinion. It, it felt For different sure. than than his past works. Uh, it was it was about Magnolia is about um, a series of characters that are connected because of one thing, and it's it's cancer, right? More yeah, or less. Yeah, I mean, their their they their their lives overlap. It takes place over the course of one day in. Yeah. I guess the San Fernando Valley area of yeah. Los Angeles. It tell, yeah, different stories, yeah. but in a way they they overlap each other in the end. Yeah, and the San, and and uh, Anderson was raised in, in, in San Fernando in the San Fernando Valley area. So and actually that's where Boogie Nights take place too. So a lot of these, as much as they don't seem like they're maybe autobiographical films, that they in a way, are. yeah. And just briefly going back to Boogie Nights, he like he he was inspired to do that because he did he not say that like. Uh, you know, when he was younger, he would always see like warehouses filled with like, like all these cars in the parking lot oh, yes. and no signs. And he's like, he's yeah. like, yeah, they're they're making pornos there. Yes. Like, and and <laughs> it was just like it was a big like it was it was a popular time for that stuff. Well, it was por- a thriving industry at yeah, that time. Yeah. Oh, and especially in 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 the valley in the 1970s. Oh, yeah. like that that was sort of the. Um, that was like the Silicon Valley of pornography, sort yeah. of, so to speak. <laughs> to use another valley, uh, California name thing, anyway. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Magnolia is much more of a. It's almost his version of an opera, I think. You know, um, even to a point where it, it, like, the characters do literally start singing along with the music on the soundtrack at one point. Um, and I, there's details like that. I think that sometimes. Uh, 
hold people at arm's length from the movie and people go like, oh, I didn't like the part where they were singing. Or what, what was going on with those frogs? Spoiler alert. Um, I loved the frogs. Oh, I, I loved it too. I, dude, I saw this movie in the theater, um, uh, you know. The, oh, the that's opening crazy, day. dude. Yeah. I had no idea that the, was coming. I and was you know shocked. what? The sound, yeah. it was so like. Oh, it's jarring, yeah. Yeah, the sound of the frogs. Like it's. Thump. Yeah. And like, why, why do you think that was in there? First, like I could never actually reason with that. He, I mean, there's a really good documentary on the DVD um, that I should lend you if you haven't seen it, if you don't have it. But um, it is uh, that he sort of explains that a little bit. Um, he's friends with Michael Penn, who who's, who's a sort of a famous musician who did some of the music in Magnolia and Boogie Nights. Um, and he's been obsessed with the idea of Reign of Frogs for a long time, so much as he even named one of his albums Reign of Frogs. It's but it's it's a real phenomenon. Like you, you can go back in the in, in the, the history of oh. weather and, and yeah. see it has rained frogs from time to time. I think it's something to do with like yeah like like hurricanes conditions where you're, you're picking up large swaths of, of, of water and you know not not you but like you know um, yeah I, nature. the sky. <laughs> I I don't know I don't know rain. <laughs> <laughs> the sky. Oh, I didn't get much sleep today, guys. But yeah, yeah, Reign of Frogs. There, there is some precedence, historical precedence for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he just did it because it's, um, you know, what was the quote? Something like you, you're, you're, you're looking. Because it was about the movie's really about how how uh, his father uh, died of cancer and how you know he was sort of dealing with that death. Um, and I think he, I think the quote is something like when the doctor told him that his dad was dying of cancer, he said, "You might as well be telling me that the frogs are falling from the sky because this is, I, I cannot deal with this information." Um, but yeah, again, it's you know uh, what he uses as a metaphor in that moment. He you know textualizes as an actual frogs literally falling yeah. from the sky onto his characters. Very artistic choice. Yeah, yeah. It's al- very alternative, and I respect it for that reason. Totally, totally. And, uh, I mean, this is a guy who who, who adapted um, a Thomas Pynchon novel into a movie last year, or a couple years ago, Inherent Vice. And I don't know if you've, if you've ever read that book. I never read the book, saw the movie. It is as crazy a book as it is a movie. And, yeah, yeah. Was he, that one of... Because... Paul Thomas Anderson has written most of his films mm-hmm. from just stories that he's made up himself, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Is this his first film yes. that he 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 made uh, from a book? Well, I mean, There Will Be Blood was the script was based on a, the, the, this book called Oil by oh, yeah, Upton Sinclair. Yeah. Um, I guess so. How much of that book actually wound up on the screen? I don't know. I've never read Oil by Upton Sinclair, but from what I understand, um, like. The character's not even called Daniel Plainview in that book. Like, he, he changed a lot. And I think what he sort of just did was took that relationship of, like, an oil man and yeah, the his adopted son. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and he ran with it from there. I, I don't think if you read the book you, you'd, you'd see any scenes of uh, priests being killed with bowling pins and bowling alleys at the end of the story. I think, that, I think that's all his invention. But, but yeah, yeah, I mean, th- those, those are the only two movies. Uh, There'll Be Blood and Heron Vice are the only two movies that have been based on. Everything else, any, any any outside source material, he's a um, he usually is a solo writing credit hmm. uh, filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. Um, sh- we also are going to be uh, at some point moving on and uh, talking about um, the uh, recent adaptation of Stephen King's It. 
Yes. Yeah, uh, we want to try to get a review in for every podcast, at least one. Mm-hmm. But we don't. But um, should we? How should we? We should probably wrap up the the PT Anderson discussion here with um, a little bit of a what's next for him. He's actually got a new movie yeah. um, lined up called Phantom Thread. Uh, he, it's his first um, time collaborating with um, Daniel Day Lewis since the, There Will Be Blood. Uh, a movie that uh, netted them both Oscar nominations, but but it actually also netted Daniel Day-Lewis an Oscar, period. P.T. Anderson just gets nominations. He never wins. It's very sad. One day. One He's day. like the um, Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> no, not at all, because Leonardo DiCaprio gets awards for movies he doesn't deserve. <sighs> Um, the Revenant. Exactly. <laughs> My God. I agree, actually. How could they look at Wolf of Wall Street and Django Unchained to be like, no, you deserved an award for The Revenant? It just got so caught up with social media, right? It's Everyone's true. like, come on, give him one already. I know, I know. Good <laughs> Lord, I know. In a world where we're like, we feel bad for Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> the most privileged, handsome, rich, like. Yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> Every photo of him, he's got like three supermodels yes, with him. At least anyway. he gets to be at the Oscars. I know, yeah, yeah. He's had, a, he's got a fine life, people. Don't yeah. worry about Leo. But, um, but yeah. So the new, fa- the new movie, Phantom Thread. Hopefully, we'll see a trailer in the next few weeks. At this point, it's scheduled for a December release, a December of 2017 release. That's so strange, hey? How it's there's nothing yet. Typical, typical for him. I mean, it's not crazy. Although, my God, we had a, a trailer for Inherent Vice six months before the movie came out. So uh, the fact that we don't have a trailer for this now leads me to believe that that release date in December might not hold firm and they, they might bump it back to March or even, I don't know. I mean, I, I doubt they'll delay it a full year till next Christmas. Um, but if it's bumped past a Christmas release date, that they're bumping it out of Oscar contention, you know? Mm-hmm. And that could mean that the studio doesn't have a lot of faith that in the movie, um, which I would be shocked by because it's a P.T. Anderson movie, my God. Um, But it is, just to give people an idea of what the plot is about, they're describing it as um, like a story about a a British um, tailor who makes uh, clothes for the royalty. Yeah, in the 50s. In the 50s, crossed with 50 shades of gray. And that's the part that really throws me. Um, So, I mean, maybe we're gonna get going back to some of that boogie nights um exploration of sexuality on film yeah i think i think he, he always has uh you know s- some form of you know sexual content and and what he said in interviews like you know the re- one of the reasons why uh why people like my films is because like people are perverts and i make it and that I, was david fincher who said that <laughs> it was a david fincher right yeah, yeah 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 that's okay though that's okay that's a good quote though that's a good quote um, yeah, that, that was the David Fincher video. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> we can cut that part out. Oh, well. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, no, he's a, um, he's, he's, he's dope, man. And, but yeah, Fincher, Fincher too. He's, he's he, we're going to talk about Fincher probably, uh, in the coming weeks at some point. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So hopefully we get that, that Phantom Thread trailer soon. And, uh, if not, um, it'll be a sad Christmas for us, us Paul Thomas Anderson fans. But yeah, um, so that said, shall we move on to uh, wrap it up with our It review? Sure, yeah, let's do it. Cool. Movie review. That was nice. (laughs) We don't even need sounders. I can just make them with my own mouth. (laughs) Who needs to edit sounders? So It is, of course, an adaptation of Stephen King's novel um, from Andy Machete. 
a sort of a, a, a different choice for the for the material than uh, maybe we were most people were expecting. But uh, and it's this is going to be a, a two part movie. This is just the first part of the yeah. Movie. And yeah. they did. Oh, I was worried. Um, that they were going to do the same thing that they did in the original It film where they had uh, the, 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 scene, the scenes when they were young and also when they were all grown up in the same film, mm-hmm. which it, it didn't work at all. Yeah. Like, it, it was such a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And, and this way they can add more stuff, right? Because instead of having, like, one, how long was the original film? Three hours or so? Oh, God, or, the TV movie was probably about three hours, yeah. Yeah, instead of having one long film, still it's long, but it, it, it's so compressed, right? Because they're trying to get both sides, like when they're young and when they're old, into one film, which, like I said, it didn't work. So, and now that they actually have this uh, a new adaption of It, where... It's how long is the, how long is this film? The one that came out is it two? It was over two hours, but like the fact that yeah, it, it, they it, can add more the stuff. The story though, you yeah, know, they can really let it breathe. Yeah, and it's a good. I don't like jumping back and forth. It kind of you know detaches you from the characters a little bit. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, absolutely. It is a um, and that was the problem with that that. Uh, <laughs> You, you really nailed it right there. You hit the nail on the head about what was wrong with that original TV movie. And it's actually hard to talk about the new It movie without also talking about that original TV movie because um, I, I don't think I realized what a hot property Stephen King's It was until I until this new movie was released because everybody has seen that TV movie. Everybody has. And to me, I just thought of it as a TV movie. Like, you got to be around in the 90s on TV, but apparently it, it, it was had a DVD release. Um, and so it, it's gotten a lot of um, Well, and I think it was just because of the book. Um, although some of the stuff in this book is pretty messed up, so I don't know how good of a fellow <laughs> Stephen King is. Um, but, yeah, so let's get to, so let's get to the movie. Um, it's a, um, you know... Again, which just focuses on the the the, the, ch- the children's side of, of it, and if I guess maybe we should explain the story. We haven't really been explaining the stories of the movies we're talking about, how are we? Uh, but yeah, it is about um, a group of kids in uh, who live in Derry in Maine in, in the nineteen. I guess in the book tape it's the nineteen fifties, but the movie it's the nineteen eighties um, because nostalgia and, and, and Stranger Things is all the rage. Um, so they updated it to the nineteen eighties, but it is essentially about. Um, this town called Derry, where the children die quite frequently. People die very, very frequently and in awful, horrible ways. No one seems to know quite what is going on until these kids discover that there's actually this this force sort of embodied by a sinister, evil clown named Pennywise who yep. uh, has been living in this, this town for hundreds of years and wakes up every 27 years to feed on, to eat children, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and with that, you know... It, who would have thunk that it would have uh, become, you know, like, I think it went on to make over $300 million, at least at the box office, this this new one. It's Crazy, a huge yeah. hit. Um, people are loving it. And I'm glad that people are loving it because we'll actually get a second one. They're not just going to, like, stop making it, you know? I worried if it bombed, they they just wouldn't make the second it if it didn't do well. But, um, but yeah, so what were your thoughts on the movie? You, you saw us a couple weeks back, eh? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I saw it the uh, same day it came to theaters. Oh wow! And uh, <laughs> I got there like, you know, almost an hour early, and there's a line. So obviously, like, 
so many people were pumped to see this movie mm-hmm. um but yeah no when when i when i started watching i from the trailers i expected it to be more of a horror film so i went in like when i was watching the film i thought okay this is going to be a really scary movie and you know halfway through i realized it's not really a scary movie like it's sure. it's more of just a goonies type mystery with like some pop-ups of this clown and uh once you realize that i think you appreciate the film a bit more mm-hmm. because some people are like oh i didn't really like it it wasn't even scary and it's like it's not i don't think it's meant to be scary really it's just meant to you know it's actually more funny than it is scary. It's a like the the dialogue with the kids. Sure. Oh. Oh. Right. Okay. Hilarious. I, I forgot what you meant. Yeah. Actually, that is probably the strongest element of the movie. Oh my is the god. Casting of those kids. The the casting overall was amazing. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Oh no! Those perfectly cast. Um, my only criticism of the, the the that element of the film, the children was that they changed some of the I think the, the the kid Mike Hanlon in the book has more of a, a more of a role in the book and in this one in the movie he sort of doesn't show up until about an hour into the movie um, if I'm not mistaken um, Mike was the uh, which one was that he was the um, um, oh, was was that the one where in the uh, like oh, he, he kept on seeing he like was burning, the, one, the burning, the burning people inside? Okay, the yeah, and yeah, that was yeah. kind of from the book. Like, yeah, and I, th- they they expanded on that like a lot in the mm-hmm. book, and and the interesting story with that. And I understand in the movie they they can't really exactly you know show all those little things. So uh, you know that that brief scene with the with the hands yeah. and burning, like it, it's kind of just like you know just a a side note of what happened uh, from the novel. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I agree. Like the, there was, there was a lot more going on uh, in the, uh, in the book towards Mike Hanlon. And also did they switch, like, did they switch the uh, roles a bit? Like where Mike Hanlon is the, I guess we don't know. Cause this is more when he's older, but I thought I heard something where uh, it's, it's Ben who ends up, being the guy yes. who who yeah. discovers like or researches and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, that that was that, that was actually the, the exact thing that I, I that I, I was touching on uh, was that that change. Yeah. And to me, it sort of it, it it minimizes Mike's involvement in the movie and really like raises up Ben's involvement in the movie, which I think will give us some indication of like what type of role Ben will play in the second one. Obviously, he's going to be the main. It's not necessarily just going to be about. Uh, what's the stuttering kid's name? I don't remember his his character's name. Bill Bill Denborough. Oh yeah. Is his brother's? Uh, what's the little brother's name who gets his arm ripped off? I can't remember. Georgie. Georgie. Listen, we saw this a couple weeks ago, guys. So we're More we're, we're struggling to remember characters' <laughs> names. But um, but yeah, overall, I think it's um, it's a damn fine movie. My my real main criticism falls to the the sort of contemporary tropes of the horror genre that so many movies, so many horror movies these days, I think, fall to. Um, same in those uh, Conjuring movies and you know where it's just like, we can have jump scares, and that's fine. But if you're going to accompany every jump scare with like a really loud grating sound effect, you're not scaring me. You're just like startling me. 
And like, I like being scared by movies. I don't, I like start being startled and being scared are two completely different uh, uh, feelings. Yeah. And uh, I felt that, yeah, yeah, there was a bit, a bit more of a startling vibe to it than than a scary one. And the um, the the director who made this film, Andy Machete, yeah. His only, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is his only like really prominent film, uh, Mama, other than it. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised that s- good such movie. a good good movie. It's it's a fine movie, yeah. But I'm 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 surprised that like they didn't ca- like get a more prominent. Well, it was originally going to be Carrie um, Fukunawa, the director of the first season of uh, uh, True Detective, um, but that I don't know something happened, and I think he was probably trying to go for a little bit more of a. Um, of a serious and dark, darker tone, mm-hmm. and I think the studio just wanted—they wanted a popcorn horror movie, and uh, and uh, and that's what they got, and and they got a big hit off of it, so um, yeah. they can't complain. But again, you know, I would say it, it, it's about like a C or a C plus, maybe somewhere in there. Not my favorite movie of the year, um, certainly, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was just like a typical Hollywood type film. Yeah, it yeah. was it was engaging. So. It was yeah, you know, there's nothing. I I'm all about the more art house type films but uh i don't know i think they did fine in this uh they definitely they ever the way they marketed it it seemed like it was a horror film and like i said it wasn't yeah so if that's what they were going for they didn't do a very good job but i mean overall i don't i think it was just more of a mystery and and they really pulled that off sure sure and i think that yeah and the fact that we even are 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 curious to see the second one at this point i think it it speaks volumes as to the quality of the casting of those kids yeah but um but yeah that's i think that that's it for um for the very first episode of of real life we'll wrap it up there i want to thank you guys all for listening we will uh, we'll be back next week and I, i believe uh we will. We're gonna. We're gonna set up some social media stuff, and we can. We can let people know what we're doing. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks, guys. guys. Like I said, I, my name is Tony, and I'm Luke. And uh, yeah, yeah. This this has been a, a fun time. Thanks for hanging with us. Yeah. And uh, thanks for chilling in the real life. <laughs> that's right. <laughs>